Uh, Turn your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We pick up our story of the uh, raising of Lazarus. Uh, We'll be in this uh, this week and next week, and then the following week, the week before Christmas, we'll have a Christmas message, as we always do. Um, So we pick it up in John, chapter 11, starting in verse 28. And this is God's word. When Martha had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, 20 years ago or so, uh, when I was doing college ministry at this church, we had singles ministry and college ministry. Um, Tammy and I took our little college ministry down to, uh, I think the, I can't remember what it was, the Coliseum or somewhere, uh, to see um, actually, well, it was a Michael W. Stiff concert, uh, but we only really went because of Jars of Clay was opening. So Jars of Clay was opening, and all of our college students were like, Jars of Clay were so cool, blah, 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 blah. So we tolerated Michael W. Stiff just to see jars of clay. And so um, we're watching Michael W. Stiff's concert, and, um, you know, they've got the typical, you know, he's like, I'll kind of sing, you know, like this, and he had his big fat mug on the screen the whole time. Uh, and there were all kinds of objectionable things, like there was, there'd be the crucifixion and all these, 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 these shots of, of Christ and his anguish, and then it'd be like, Michael W. Smith's face with his scrubby beard and his good looks and stuff would be coming in and out, all kinds of things that were annoying. One of the other things that was annoying was that they did this thing in the middle where the whole band got rid of their instruments, and they all walked around in a circle, and they did like... They had this rhythm, and they they had this cadence that they were all walking to. So they were all stomping in a circle, blah, blah, and when they'd stop, somebody would recite a Bible verse. And they'd go, boom, boom, boom. And they did it some more, and somebody would recite a Bible verse. And they would do it some more, somebody would recite a Bible verse. And of course, as is, is so kitschy in American concerts and cultures, the, the cool black dude, uh, you know, it, there's always a point in a concert where you prove that the black guy is cooler than the artist. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, these honkies are kind of jive honkies. We've got this one cool guy. And so the cool guy, the cool black dude, when it was time for his verse, he goes, Jesus wept. And the whole crowd starts laughing because ha, 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 he picked a short verse. Look how funny that is. And he's, he's cooler than everybody else because he picked this short little verse. And it was this funny little moment. And they started their stomping thing again. And um, 
it bothered me back then, but it really bothered me as I was preparing this. Um, you have Jesus in the presence of these mourning people, and Jesus is himself mourning, and that has turned into some little pop culture ha 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 at a concert because somebody picked the short verse and isn't that clever? Jesus wept, ha ha, the shortest verse of the Bible. Um, it's not just a clueless reference to the Bible, but this particular situation, um, feeling the deep tearing of death and the, the Christ himself feeling it, knowing that he himself is about to die. Within days, he himself will die. And he's feeling the deep tearing of humanity in human death. Uh, one commentator uh, writes this, Herman Ritterboss, um, he writes this, Jesus weeping was the revulsion of everything in him against the power of death. Now, you, you think about that. You know, in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So you, you've, got, you've got the giver of life. You've got the creator. You've got the one who will restore fellowship with God and make spiritual life possible. And he's feeling the revulsion of the power of death. In this one little verse, Jesus wept, and this one little scene in which that is housed, hardly a thing to make light of. Jesus, who had lived a perfectly sinless humanity in a hopelessly sinful world, is now feeling the tearing, the wreckage um, that sin brings about in the human experience. All right, so what is our main idea today? I say it is this, Jesus wars against death. Um, he just doesn't dislike it. He just didn't come here to be merely an example. He didn't come here to merely be a good teacher. He came to war against death and beat it. He, he was victor over death. Um, and I will show you momentarily that Jesus isn't just a little heart sick here. He is that. But he is also in mercenary mode. Death isn't just sad. It is an enemy uh, that will itself be killed by this Jesus, the warrior. All right, so let's look at our first of three points, which is Jesus calls. We pick up our story after Martha runs out to Jesus. So she's run out to him, and uh, she makes a surprisingly rich statement at the end of her encounter. If you remember in verse 27, she says to Jesus, you know, he, he makes a statement about himself, and we'll look at verse 25. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, listen, you got to do something with this Jesus. You can't just tuck him away and go, well, he was a nice guy, you know, like all these other, like, uh, you know, religious figures. That is, that's a giant statement. You, now you have to process, you have to do something with him. You can't just sweep him, up, sweep him away. Um, in fact, he challenges Martha. He says, uh, do you believe this? And here's what she says. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, I don't know if that's her conversion experience or the, the, the absolute state of her heart, but that's pretty strong uh, stuff to say, um, and it, it, it seems to have been revealed to her by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, now, the Bible wishes to include that it was just on the heels of her saying that, um, that Martha thinks to go get her sister. Look at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, 
and is calling for you. Now, the first question we might ask is, why did she go to her sister privately? It's interesting. I mean, when you read that, doesn't that just kind of jump off the page? She goes to her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Uh, furthermore, why does the gospel writer want us to know this? John, and of course, ultimately, the Holy Spirit of God wants us to know this. Why? It could have just said, Mary called her sister. Well, some people suggest that Martha was careful to say it to her in private because it was dangerous for Jesus to be back in Bethany. Uh, and indeed, it was dangerous for him to be back in Bethany. Uh, some say that perhaps Martha said it privately to Mary um, because um, uh, she wanted to give her some alone time with Jesus without an ensuing crowd following out there uh, and, and so on. Uh, both of those things, I think, are probably true. Um, it seems pretty logical. Um, and I'll tell you one other thing. Um, much has been said and preached about professional mourners. Have you ever heard anything like that, professional mourners? All right, that's a real zingy thing to preach, uh, professional mourners. That was a reality back in uh, the East and, uh, and other places back then. And it's a reality today, too, by the way, in the East, uh, that there are professional mourners. In fact, uh, yeah, um, in, the, in the UK, there's a, play, there's a company called rentamourner.com.uk. And so, um, you know, if, if you don't want to look like a big loser before you die... Uh, you can say, listen, can I, can I rent a, uh, about 35 people to attend my funeral so I, I, I look like I was pretty popular? Uh, you can rent a mourner to go to your funeral and kind of fill out a little bit and kind of jazz it up. Is that not crazy? Um, also, mourning. Have you ever seen pe uh, people in other cultures mourn? You know, it's, it's very interesting. In the United States, we mourn in a certain way. I had a seminary professor um, from Ireland, and he said one of the most... I've, I've told you this before, probably, but uh, he said... He said the two most shocking things about American culture when he moved here from Ireland were, number one, how frank everybody was with their prayer requests. He said, you know, over there they say, I've got an issue, with, I've got an, an issue uh, uh, internally. Uh, I've got an issue with my stomach. And everybody goes, oh, let's pray for your stomach. Here it's like, oh, there's a sphincter, and uh, the, the blood flows through here. Uh, okay, we got it. We don't need all the, like, little specifics. Uh, so that was one thing that shocked him. And then the other thing that shocked him was death, um, how in where he, at least back then when he was growing up, in Ireland, when somebody died, the body would stay in the house for three days, and everybody would come to the house, and he said that they would touch the body, everybody would touch the body, nobody touches the body in the, in the United States, but they would touch the body and be near the body, and they would grieve in a certain way, and it was just very very interpersonal and uh, not, not, not sanitized like it is in the United States. Well, you know, you go to other parts of the world, I don't know if you've seen on the news, but when there's, when there's great grief, you ever seen people whack themselves on the head? You ever seen that? Oh, they do. They'll go, just in their grief, they just, everybody's pounding their head. Uh, they'll have uh, a yell, you ever seen that? They, they grieve in a certain way. And so, the grieving that you see here was not, not, not the quiet little stuff that we do. It's, it's, there's a lot of probably weeping and wailing. Uh, it was more uh, culturally uh, customary back then. And so Martha uh, tells uh, Mary, um, and uh, she's, she wants to hopefully get Mary some quiet time away from this noisy uh, group of people in their mourning. Uh, I don't know if there were professional mourners there or not. Probably not because, you know, it says that... Um, um, Oh, it says when, you know, Jesus saw 
uh, yeah, yeah, well, Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. You know, he was moved. Um, I don't think that he was looking at uh, professional mourners going, oh, look at that. I think he was looking at really people who were really grieving. Um, anyway, all to say, Mary, she, she responds in a unique way. Um, she was told quietly, but then she jumps up and uh, we'll talk about it more in our, in our next point. But he jumps up, and she, she rises quickly, and she goes out to him, and everybody follows her like a big herd of zombies. Um, and I don't know if you know a lot about zombie culture. I know the carols do. But uh, if you don't know about zombie culture, they, they like a loud noise. So if there's a big loud noise comes, they, they, even if they're eating guts or whatever, they look up, and they're like, ooh, loud noise. Okay. So they, all these people follow Mary out there, all right? What is germane here? is that Jesus sought her out. That's the point. Jesus calls her. Jesus sought her out. Look at the order of it again. I just I found this so worshipful and, and fascinating. Um, verse 27, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read three verses, so just bear with me. She, uh, Martha, uh, Martha said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, isn't it interesting? Somewhere in there, it appears that Martha said this thing. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And it seems like at that point, Jesus said, go get your sister. I just find that to be so loving and compelling. Uh, guess what, Martha? Um, something's been revealed to your spirit. Now go get your sister because it's time for her. It's time for her to have uh, an issue of faith. In other words, her soul is precious. Now go get her. I'm here to secure it. Application for your life. This, friends, is how the gospel works. Jesus calls. I mean, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, did he not? Who calls? The Holy Spirit summons. The Holy Spirit breathes life. The Holy Spirit illumines truth. And so Jesus calls. The question for you is, uh, how, do you, uh, how do you get up? <laughs> do you get up like Mary? Or do you get up? Do you get up at all? Jesus calls, Mary jumps up, she rises quickly, makes a ruckus, enough for all the people to follow her out and go, hey, something's up here. She's either going to the tomb or something, but let's go follow her. Is that what you do? How will you respond to the Savior? You've only got three choices. He's either a big fat liar when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who believes in me shall never die. What's, what do you do with that? He's either a big, fat, honking liar, or he's some crazy, diabolical, you know, pathological goofball, or he really is that. He's the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. Do you believe this? Friend, do you believe this? Do you get up? 
How do you get up? Do you get up at all? Do you get up explosively? I uh, suggest the latter. Um, let me read you something from uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 6. Listen to this. Paul writing. For he says, he's quoting Isaiah 49, verse 8. In a favorable, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. All right? So Paul quotes Isaiah 49, and then Paul says this. Behold. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You don't have to wait for a Messiah. Messiah's here. You don't have to scour the earth for answers. You don't have to, you don't have to try out transcendental meditation and see what they've got. You don't have to become a mystic and see what they've got. This is the Christ making claims about himself now is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. Question is, do you believe this? That's the question from Jesus. All right, next point. Mary falls. Uh, in our previous point, we asked, uh, how do you get up or do you get up? Uh, how will you respond to the Savior? And now we'll look at the other question here. Um, what will you do when you encounter this Savior? Look at what, uh, look at what Mary does. When she heard it, she rose quickly, went to him. And again, she moved so bombastically uh, that she was going to him, what, what was, was coming uh, to him, that others knew something was uh, at least up. Uh, verse 31 tells us that she was going to the tomb to weep there. One thing we know for certain, God is in sovereign control. Uh, people followed her, uh, unbeknownst to them and unbeknownst to her. Because they were about to witness a miracle. Isn't that something? She gets up hurriedly, even though she was told privately she could have some quiet time with Jesus. She gets up bombastically, kind of a la Peter. And she runs out there. Everybody follows her. And uh, unbeknownst to her and them, they are about to witness a miracle. Uh, verse 30, uh, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. Why didn't he just go to the house? The reason he didn't go to the house is his business was not at the house. His business was at the tomb. So he hung out, and he was near the tomb. Uh, and uh, in verse 32, it says, Mary came to where he was, saw him. She fell at his feet, uh, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, it's interesting, and, and quite a legacy, really, I think, with, with Mary. When you think about Mary in the Bible, this Mary, um, Mary of Bethany here. Um, there are three main accounts of her. There's this one here. There's another one in verse 12. I mean, excuse me, in chapter 12 where she anoints Jesus. And then there's another account in Luke uh, 10. In each of those accounts, she falls at Jesus' feet. Isn't that something? When you think of Mary of Bethany, in each of those accounts, she falls at Jesus' feet. And then, of course, here she says almost the same thing Martha did. Uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They obviously had talked about that. They obviously were troubled by it. Um, and while they both express a faith, it's a flawed faith uh, as well. They do not yet truly know who this Jesus is. I mean, Martha, Martha doesn't understand that Jesus can yet perform a miracle. Neither does Mary, that Jesus can yet perform a miracle, that he can yet raise someone from the dead. Application for your life. Uh, let, me, let me read the, the Bible to you and summon you as a minister of the gospel. Uh, verse um, 28, the end of it. 
The teacher is here and is calling for you. (laughs) What will you do? I suggest you rise quickly. And then what do you do when you encounter the Savior? Learn from Mary. You fall at His feet. I mean, what does that that posture communicate? It, It communicates that I got nothing. It communicates that you're greater. It communicates that I'm low that I'm in need, that you're the supplier. It also communicates a heart that longs to worship. And Jesus never, he, he never says, no, don't do that, that that's silly. I mean, the, the, John, the, the gospel writer, does what he writes Revelation. Um, he, I mean, she, I, he doesn't do it. He does it to angels. The angels go, ah, stop it, John, stop it, John. Uh, but Jesus doesn't refuse um, worship, but she's at his feet worshiping. I'm telling you, that's the way you come to the Savior. She, she clung to him, and she made a statement of belief in his divinity. Um, that's how you come to this Christ. You run to him, you fall at his feet, uh, claiming nothing except what God gives you in his grace. All right, last point. Jesus feels. Uh, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. What does it mean that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled? There's been a lot of discussion over that uh, over the years. Um, There's a lot of word studies that you can do on here. Um, It's it's quite interesting. Look it up in other Bible translations. It's fascinating. Um, But um, some say that uh, to push it beyond being very sad is, is too much, is too much. Jesus wept. He was very sad, right? So some say to push the meaning beyond that is too much. Others say, well, wait a second, wait a second. Jesus exhibits a trembling, uh, sorrowful anger, and he's so personally disturbed by it, uh, by sin, um, that that he weeps. Um, Some say he was uh, distraught over, uh, you know, uh, fake fake mourners, uh, Jewish onlookers. I don't believe that. Um, some say that he was disappointed in Mary. I certainly don't believe that at all. I think that's a terrible interpretation. Um, but much can be known by Jesus' own reaction. It's interesting. Uh, he said, where have you laid him? I mean, he sees people weeping. He sees Mary weeping. He's moved in his, his spirit. He's greatly troubled. And what he says is, where have you laid him? I mean, this is Jesus feeling things um, personally. Where have you laid him? And I'll tell you, I can, I can relate to what he's saying here. I, I mean, I have been to, I don't want to say hundreds and hundreds because that's probably, a, but, but dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of funerals. And you know what I've done dozens and dozens and dozens of times is uh, if, there's, if there's somebody and there's somebody in a casket and there's tables full of pictures and stuff, I'll meet with the family, I'll hug on them, um, and I'll, I'll say something like, you know, when it's, it's my time's up and the line's got to move and everything, I'll say something like, I'm going to go look at your daddy. Did you hear that? I'm going to go look at your daddy. Or I'm going to go look at your grandma. And I go to the casket and I look at them. And uh, a lot of times I touch their arm. And then I go to the table and I look at pictures of them. And I consider their life. And I, I look at what they looked like in, when they were younger and they wore funny clothes. And you know how many times the person I just left 
ends up coming back to me. I'll be staring at that body in the, in the casket, and the person has left the line as it comes up next to me, and they just stare at their loved one with me. I, I, think, I think Jesus' heart was broken for Lazarus, who, whom he loved. I mean, when, when Lazarus was ill, they say in verse 3, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They didn't have to say Lazarus from Bethany in Judea. He whom you love is ill. Jesus knew, knew who it was, and so he goes. And when he shows up on the scene and he sees everybody mourning, he's not going, hey, hang on a second. I'm about to do a miracle here. I'm about to blow your mind. He goes, where have you laid him? Because I want to see him. I want to go wherever he is. I mean, that, that, that's personal. Um, now, to move on here, uh, death is an enemy, and Jesus feels that uh, very deeply here. B.B. Uh, Warfield wrote this. Uh, about that. It's a great, it's a great quote. Listen, Jesus approached, so what does it, what does it mean that Jesus wept, all right? Um, it, 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 it means that he, he wasn't sobbing uncontrollably, but he burst into tears. It, it wasn't just a, you know, an, you know the, the Indian crying over uh, pollution, if you grew up in the 70s, you know. Um, he, he, was, he was deeply moved, and it says here, uh, Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of inexpressible anger. The emotion which tore his breast and clamored for utterance was just like righteous rage. It is death that is the object of his wrath, and behind death, him who has the power of death and whom he had come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but his soul is held by rage, and he advances to the tomb, in Calvin's words, as a champion who prepares for conflict. Jesus, Jesus he, he's, he's infuriated in his sadness over, over the way sin rips humanity apart. Don't you feel that? When you, when you experience a death that is close to you, it is a sadness indeed. It is a separation indeed. But it is a tearing. It, it's, a, it's an anger. It's sin. You know, I've told you this before, but I mean, it takes me four keys to get to my office in this church. Four. Well, I'm a grandmaster. But my point is, I have to go, ant, 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 to get in my office. And I'm angry almost every day. I really am. You know why? I'm like, this is because of sin. And this is because of sin. If there weren't sin, I wouldn't have to lock stuff up so they didn't try to steal or to kill me. I mean, doesn't that bother you? You got to lock everything up and clamp everything down and get an antivirus thing and uh, do all these protective things and have home security and all that. It's sin that does that. And Jesus feels it in death so profoundly. Now, application for your life. Think about tears. Are they not more than sadness? Are they not also a longing for justice, a longing for, the, for healing of brokenness in relationships and, and, um, and, 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 and wishing that you could say what you've always wanted to say, but you can't say it anymore? I mean, there's hurt in that, um, suffering over the whole fractured world. Why do you feel those things? Wrapped up in all your tears is the, is the, the jarring of the world that has been, has been 
has been chained by the barnacles uh, of, of sin, the parasite of sin. Uh, I close with this. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> Brady, Brady Johnson sings uh, Joy to the World this morning. It's our, uh, it's our offertory this morning. Joy to the world, Brady sings, you know. And, uh, you know, there's a line in Joy to the World that says, He, Jesus, comes to make His blessings flow. Isn't that a great thought? How far do they flow? As far as the curse is found, everything that's affected by sin is going to be fixed by Jesus ultimately. He comes to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. The last thing I'll tell you is this. The little kid program. You know, every year there's a little kid program uh, in, the, in the Christmas thing. And, you know, I write those. And, um, you know, this year it, it's, uh, it's, kinda, it's James Brown music, all right? So it's like, uh, it's like, soul, it's like you know, James Brown. Um, and there's a line in there toward the end that I absolutely love. And it's, it's taken from Genesis 3. And the line is, you know, it's kind of funky. Uh, and it goes, crushing head. And take a name. Well, that's kind of a cool pl- cultural play on words, isn't it? C- crushing head and take a name. <laughs> that's what Jesus came to do. He came to defeat death. He came to crush the head of death. Bruised he was, indeed. He was crucified on a cross, but he crushed head. And he took name. And the name is the enemy. And ultimately, Jesus will come back. And sin will be no more in human existence. You won't even be tempted to sin anymore. You won't be able to sin anymore. Was that not a thing? Wonderful thing to, to think about at this uh, Advent season. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you that uh, you're a living Lord, and having a living Lord makes all the difference. Um, that, that you've gone before us and you are okay means that we'll be okay, and that you, O oh God, have all the knowledge and all the answers and know all the goings-ons, uh, goings-on in every single heart gives us comfort. We don't know those things, but you do. You know what kind of transactions happen in people's hearts and when they happen, and uh, in those things we can rest. We can rest in your goodness and the fullness of Christ's work, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate you.